Wake up, wake up, 49er fans, and this should be your best wake up since, what, 2019? The 49ers are in the Super Bowl with a 27-7 second half outscoring the Lions. They have found their way to Las Vegas. You have found yourself back here with Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger, and welcome. Larry, quick turnaround. Would you would you make it back to the creek about 1.30, 2 a.m. last night? Oh, can't hear you. Oh, my God. Then watching the game again, uh, falling asleep, sitting up, watching the game. I mean, bleary-eyed, contact lenses. Oh, oh, my God. What a night. What a freaking night. Amazing game. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Dan Campbell because Dan Campbell deserves a major assist. All Dan Campbell had to do was go kick a couple field goals or hand the ball to David Montgomery, and he couldn't do it. He could not do it. And Brock Purdy, I went. I, I don't do this a lot, but I went up to him. So we had the presser. We talked to him in the presser, and then we all went to the locker room, and he's just standing there at his locker, and I'm like, man, I, I, I'll go over and talk to him. And um, what an incredible night. I mean, just to uh, just what a great kid. Um, and he's like, you know, he's calling me, sir. He's like, can you believe that, sir? Can you believe that? I'm like, sir, come on, man. I'm like 17 down, 17 down to come back in the, in the running. And I mean, just, you know, what can you say? What like, can you say? Hey, 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 feel free to call me Mr. Larry Kruger. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean it was a, an amazing night. I talked to, um, Aaron Banks in the locker room. Did an extended interview with him. Talked to um, Chris Kasarek in the locker room. Did an extended lock, uh, interview with him. And the one thing that Banks said, Damon, really resonated. He's like, you know what? We came in at half and nobody was panicking, but it was like guys were kind of pissed. And it was like, dude, we are not going out like that. And um, they came out. I mean, you could tell in that third quarter the way the Niners took the ball to begin the second half really was like, you know, we're, you haven't gotten the best of us yet. I mean, and they, they wind up settling for a Jake Moody, 43 yard field goal to make it 24, 10. But I thought the, the, the crucial mistake and tell me if you think this was it. I, I thought the crucial mistake was Dan Campbell. Um, it's third and goal from the six and golf goes to Gibbs for three yards they're fourth and goal from the two with 10 seconds left. They're up at that point, 21 to seven. If they go up 28, seven there, it is such a absolute deflator. You could feel the game hanging by a thread. The 49ers don't have the crowd into it or anything. And they get the fourth and goal from the two. And you've got Montgomery who is ripping off 6.8, a carry that you get, you're going for like nine yards a play in the first half. And you settle for a Michael Badgley field goal at the end of a 17 play drive. If you had punched it in there and it's 28, seven, man, it is freaking ball game. But instead he goes for it with the field goal makes it 24, seven. And then the Niners get the field goal coming out of the half, and all of a sudden it's 24-10, and you're thinking, you know. And then he goes for it on fourth and two at the 28 instead of kicking the field goal there. And it's like, okay. Well, he went, Larry, he kicked the field goal 
when he shouldn't have and passed on kicking the field goal when he should have. Right. I know that sounds like we're kind of just ripping him either way, but it's different scenarios. And the way Montgomery was running, you know, and and you're known as a go-for-it guy. And to me, to go for the field goal there going into the half, really was a, the first mistake. And then see Campbell wrestling with the decision. You saw it right over the TV on the broadcast. He was painfully thinking about what do I do? What do I do? He left his, his offense out on that field for his de- entire decision-making process. And Fox had the camera right on him. And then you finally see him, you know, do this. In other words, we're, we're going for the field goal. And look, he, he at times managed that game like a drunk kid playing Madden where he's like, I'm, you know, we're just going for it. I'm just going to go for it the entire time. But look, that is what got the lions to the game. Dan Campbell was 17 to 20 on fourth and short this season. What he did it was, it, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, what he didn't have happen often was Reynolds dropping two huge drops Gibbs with that fumble. I mean, there are a lot more than just the Dan Campbell decisions that went into that comeback, but you know, Niners history is dotted with moments, the catch, the catch two. um, that eight minute stretch where they put up 17 unanswered right out of the rip is right. one of the, I mean, I, I don't know what Niner fans want to end up calling that the eight minutes, the third quarter, the, I mean, I don't know, but it's one of the single greatest momentum grabs and game changing swings we've ever seen in a postseason game. The 49ers erased the largest halftime deficit in NFC championship history to reach the Super Bowl. My goodness. Well, not only that, Damon. So, I mean, it's amazing how fast it all happened. Okay. So, as you said, um, you know, the Niners score the field goal, then Detroit gets the ball back. They go for it on fourth and two and don't get it. So then you're thinking, wait a second. Now it's it's a 14 point game and the Niners have the ball. It's still early third quarter. Then he goes up top immediately to Ayuk against Vildor. And Ayuk makes this amazing catch. Purdy goes to Ayuk on third and goal from the six with a six-yard touchdown pass. A great window throw too. That yeah. was that that was the, maybe the best throw of the night. To be honest, that was exactly that was a, maybe his best throw. Then Gibson gets the forced fumble and Armstead falls on it. And still, to me, one of the hugest plays is they go to Kittle on first down at the twenty-four on the next play after the fumble, negative yardage. So now they're second and eleven. Second and 11 from the 25, and, and at this point, if you can't turn that that Gibson fumble into a touchdown, it almost would feel like Detroit was getting momentum back. Totally. And Purdy ran on second and 11 from the 25, down 21-yard run to the four for the first down. Lamar Purdy. That Lamar was freaking huge. Because that almost guaranteed they were going to score the touchdown and tie the game, which they did. And then the Lions went three and out on the next drive. Um, and, and they had been running it at will. And what do they do on the next drive? Two out of their three pass plays were pass plays. So, you know, it, that, to me, that was amazing. Um, and then, you know, to get the ball back with 2-0-1 left in the third quarter um, and you know, I mean, Purdy then takes two sacks late in that drive, and they settle for the field goal by Jake Moody uh, to make it uh, 27-24. And you're like, oh, man, I still think, you know, not 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Lions start that drive. And you're thinking, okay, they're going to they're gonna 
you know, they're going to go down and, and make something happen or run the ball out. So then it gets to first and 10 on that drive from the 47 of their, of their own, right? They run Montgomery for a first down. He goes for 16 yards. Damon, in my mind, I'm thinking after that play, they can just run this at will and control the clock and, you know, drive down, score maybe one more touchdown and win by four. Next play, flea flicker, and it goes incomplete. And I'm like, and then go off over through Gibbs. I I set the over under at one and a half flea flickers and the over hit, baby. I mean, Dan Campbell. How do you go flea flicker after you just ran for 16 yards and you've got Montgomery and Gibbs? All you got to do is ride that duo to the finish line and you're starting to get fancy with flea flickers. And oh my God, right there. I was like, this guy, this, this offensive coordinator is either a genius or an idiot. Uh, because that was just absolutely crazy uh, to not stay with the run there. And then fourth and three from the 37 golf throws incomplete, but he was on the run. It's like what you're Jared, you're running the ball at will. You get to fourth and three. Do you hand it to Montgomery? No, you, yeah. you, you, you have golf on the run. I mean, it was unbelievable, unbelievable turnaround. There were some really interesting to be second guessed forever choices from Dan Campbell. Uh, there were some plays that the Lions absolutely left on that field, and that wasn't Dan Campbell's fault. I mean, the players got to play, but I mean, the, the golf on one of the fourth downs where he should have run the ball, he threw a perfect pass, and his wide receiver just dropped it. I mean, it was, it it, it was, it was an awful lot of of luck that went into the 49ers coming back in that game, as much as it was them grabbing momentum and seizing the moment and capitalizing on all those big moments. And then the lions, again, it's not very often a run first, second and third football team abandons the run when it's up by about 20 points in the second half of an NFC title game. But that's kind of what happened. And you think about Larry, how devastating, this all really is. And, you know, we're, we're, we're here to cover everything that happened uh, through the, you know, through, through the prism of the 49ers and they're in the Super Bowl. And isn't that exciting, everyone? But just for a minute, look at what the Lions just blew. Oh, look at what the Lions just blew. There's a very good chance that that is the only great chance they're ever going to have to get to a Super Bowl. How are you going to find a better chance than that? How are you going to find it? The Lions, I mean, how high is your probability of going to the Super Bowl when you're up 24 to 7 at halftime of the NFC Championship game? I don't know if the Lions in their franchise's history will ever be in a more advantageous situation to get to a Super Bowl than that. Yeah. No, it was there. It was absolutely there for them. And Dan Campbell gagged so bad. But I will say this, too. It was a combination of Campbell gagging and Purdy just rising in the moment. To me, the 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 other one. So he had three scrambles towards the end, but the the Niners' drive that they got the ball back in the fourth quarter with seven and a half minutes to play, up three. They start on their own thirty. They run CMC for seven yards. Purdy uh, Purdy bootleg passes to Debo for eight on second and two. Then they run CMC for two yards on first and ten from the 45 then Purdy goes to CMC for a short pass on second and eight 
It's third and four, Damon, from from basically midfield, the 49-yard line. And this was where this game was absolutely won by Purdy. This is where this guy's really special. He scrambled for 21 on third and four to make it first and 10 on the 28. Next play, CMC runs for 25 down to the three. And then Shanahan puts in Elijah Mitchell, who's so good in short yardage, even though he's a small guy. And he goes in to make it 34-24. Well, and every asking out, it looks like, I mean, he came down square on his neck. And, yeah. um, you know, oh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He put the finger up, get me out for one play. And Kyle did that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, he wasn't, yeah, they would have stayed with with, with uh, CMC there. Been three touchdowns. Third and four from Purdy to scramble on third and four for 21. The decisiveness, I mean, it was just like, you know what? There's money on the table. I'm a competitor, and I don't care how big I am or this or that, how fast I am or whatever. I'm, I want it, and I'm going for it. And that was just Shanahan said when he was asked in the lock in the uh, at the presser after the game about Purdy's running. He's like, you know, what was the impact of Purdy's running? And he's like, it was the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, I don't think he's exaggerating. I thought the other Purdy, the or the other play that just showed Purdy's medal was when he basically had a sack roll off of him, and then he finds Kyle Uzcheck for about a nine yard gain, and Uzcheck is the you know tippy toeing it over on the sideline. Oh, yeah, that was another play. just Purdy extending a play that probably should have been buried for a five yard sack. And the, the dude, the kids just got, I mean, what is it? I don't know it. I, I, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. And there's a lot of people in the media who either like Ryan Clark were just lying to themselves or they just, <laughs> yeah, they, they, whatever. Can't see it. they can't see it. And I don't know why they can't see it. Maybe it's a, just a bias against the player, the franchise, the, the talking point that gets you the most amount of attention. I, I don't know, but it, it, you think that it looks accidental. Like if you, you know, if you watch it once, you're like, ah, wow, this guy got kind of fortunate. And then you realize, you know what? No, no, it's not fortune. He's processing what he sees. He's, you know, he's not a perfect player. And he does, you know, the interception to Malcolm Rodriguez was bad. I mean, it was predictable too. I saw it. I mean, kind of, he kind of took a hit on the play and he kind of rushed it. Uh, and he didn't, you know, there's nothing on the ball and it just floated. Uh, it was bad. It was definitely bad. But it's like the guy makes a lot of plays. And, um, you know, the, the the poise under pressure. The interesting thing about, about the game, I thought, was that Purdy, in talking about the game, was like, yeah, we really um, looking forward to this game. It's a new game, you know, new week. And he's like, it's going to be really important that we, you know, something like control the momentum. And then sure enough, I mean, this game was so much about momentum. Um, once the momentum shifted to the Niners, you just felt like Detroit got tight. Well, and that stadium got loose and loud. Oh, and wow. it was really loud. Look at it this way is Levi Stadium's greatest nemesis. Let me tell you, last night was the first night Levi Stadium really roared to life as the home of the San Francisco 49ers. By the way, they are undefeated in the postseason at Levi Stadium. So I guess that place needs to, you know, get that labeled as something that has happened there. You gotta, the you, come back, come on over, Damon. Yeah. Be, be a fan of Levi's. Eh. 
uh, you know, architectural disaster to this day. But hey, when you're winning games, nobody notices that the stadium looks like it's still under construction. Anyway, um, it, it, it was an unbelievable night for the Niners, for Niner fans. There were parties all over San Francisco that raged early into the morning. Larry, you and I both look like we raged early into the morning. Wow. Half of our chat is like, I'm working home. I'm working from home today. By the way, this isn't just a show for the people. It's a show for the Bay Area media elite as well. The one and only Sal Castaneda is in the chat room this morning. Sal Castaneda is here? The pride of Reardon High School? Here he, is. he says, I like Larry, except for that St. Ignatius part. That's his comment this morning. <laughs> Um, but look, it is so good to have you. They here. hate us because they ain't us. Oh boy. Jeff G has become a member over on the plus side of this. So thank you very much, Jeff. You are now part of the initiated. You get a little clap for that for joining. Thank you very much. Sal Castaneda doing it for the clicks. That's I'm telling you, that's what <laughs> people are doing, Sally. They're just looking for attention. And since they don't have enough interesting stuff to talk about on their own, they have to make up lies about your 49ers. And I'll tell Look, you, Rockford, it's 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 it's, it's an industry. Let's be honest. Let's yeah. be honest, Damon. Everybody who's ripped Brock Purdy gets a ton of attention. Mm -hmm. And if you need a little attention, hanging out on a Saturday night, and nobody's paying attention to your ass. Talk Brock Purdy on your phone. Suddenly, you can make yourself a public, you know, enemy number one with Niner fans for you know fourteen hours on Twitter. It Look, works, I'm, I'm, and I'm you'll not... get followers, and you'll get subscribers, and you'll get the. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. It, it's like if you couldn't see that this guy was good last year, fine. If you couldn't see that this guy was good this summer, okay, fine. If you couldn't see that Brock Purdy was good after about six or seven weeks of this year's regular season, you're you don't you're not seeing it now you're, trying. you're not seeing it now you're trying to not like the guy right exactly <laughs> and if you're if you're ripping him like ryan clark and amy trask are at the end of this year when he's 20 and 5 i mean it's like you're just obstinate you're looking for a fight or you have certain issues that are beneath the surface that you need to address well and look i'm not saying that brock purdy is great but the great ones make it look easy don't they they always have the great ones make it look like, well, anybody could do that. And isn't that one of the number one things that you hear about Brock Purdy? Well, any other quarterback could have done that in Kyle's system, even though we've seen quarterback after quarterback fail in Kyle's system, um, you know, and, and just to watch what this kid has done with the opportunity that was handed to him through hard work and patience and a little bit of luck and a Trey Lance injury. Um, it's, it's just amazing to see where they were and where they are again, going back to the Super Bowl. You could see the look of stress on Kyle Shanahan's face in that first. He, he aged a year in that first half alone. And then he actually Detroit looked awesome. Oh, Larry. I mean, you know, when you have the right to be really concerned about how this day is going to go for my football team, when you're getting blown off the line, and the 49ers spent that entire first half getting their backs blown out. I mean, Hargrave was supposed to dominate. He got dominated. Really dominated. I mean, like, like embarrassed, physically embarrassed in the game. Um, how important was how important was it to go to Jair Brown? Oh, yeah. if they had stayed with Logan Ryan, they don't win this game. They're not winning that game. 
Look at it this way. If they're getting seven yards of pop with Brown in there, what is it without him? (laughs) Brown had 10 tackles, lots of physical hits. He was, he was terrific. Yeah, no, it's, it's an, it was an amazing night for sure. And, and one that you'll, you'll never forget because of the momentum shift and the magnitude of that game. They were literally dead. I had, I had people sitting around me saying, well, so much for Vegas and at least we won't have to go to Vegas and all this talk. And I'm just like, what, what loser says out loud, at least we won't have to go to Vegas. Ryan Leong. Who says that? (laughs) Ryan Leong, who also announced by the way, that, that him and your wife share a birthday and then, and I'm sorry. Then he asks me, he's like, you know, Damon, don't you? And I'm like, dude, if, if if I die, I'm going to kill you. I, I can't have people talking down uh, around me in, uh, you know, first of all, I just can't, I just can't. I mean, remember, was, remember, remember when Bruce McGowan used to do his Richard Nixon impression for three innings in a row, <laughs> I, <laughs> sitting there in a Brucey. I love Brucey I too, but oh but my God, he was so anything. many times I've told Brucey to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, dude, Brucey, I love you. I love you. Uh, you know, I love you. I love your wife. I love your daughter. I love your entire everything about you. Please shut the fuck up. Oh, dude. It, don't make me, amount, don't make me kill you. The amount of Bay area media that goes to games to just kind of like hang out and that's their social network or something like they're, they're not really working as much as they're working the room. It's <laughs> yeah. It, oh, it's, it's, it is amazing. It is amazing. But um, I, I was getting so pissed. I was like, dude, I, I got to the point where he was asking me questions, like basic questions, like, you know, you know, Damon's Damon and Damon's wife, don't you, Larry? And I'd be like, yes, I'm, I wouldn't even talk. I wouldn't even talk. I was just like, I, if I say one word, I'm going to I'm I'm going to blow up at this guy. Well, so I'm you like, know, uh, let me just finish with this. Happy birthday, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, seriously, a happy seriously. birthday and happy birthday to my wife who uh, got a hell of a birthday present from her hometown team, the San Francisco 49ers. What a win are going to the Super Bowl in a day where it looked like it was all going to come to end, not just in bad fashion, like horrifically bad fashion. And then one of the great eight minute stretches in this franchise's history is what turned it all around. Welcome to wake Amazing. up. Like and subscribe this bad boy. This sucker is growing. It's official. This has become a morning show that is capturing the Bay Area. We thank you so much for choosing to be with us here. And there's more of this coming to you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Larry and I, we understand how lucky we are to have your full attention in the morning. And we can't help but notice that that's when he and I can get together and kind of do this. So, More of this is coming your way. I can tell you that. It is great to have you here. Like and subscribe. Thank you so much. Um, Look, it was was a game that looked like it was going to go into the trash bin of history. It was a game that at at halftime, Larry, I thought that there was a very good chance that on Wake Up, you and I would be talking about... How much do you think you'd have to pay Bill Belichick to get in here to, 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 to do a deal? How could, how could that even coexist? And if the Niners were to win, like, does Kyle Shanahan even go up to the stage to get the Lombardi trophy? Or would you send Bill Belichick? Or what? How, like, oh, that's so awkward. I can't believe that this is where they, you know, a going back to the drawing board is how this year is going to end. 
Well, no, it doesn't end like that. It ends with a chance to go and take on a very good Chiefs team. And I'm look, Larry, you and I are decided we're going to focus on what happened against the Lions. The nice thing about the upcoming Super Bowl is we're not going to have to convince anybody that this is a good opponent like we had to do against the Packers and the Lions, right? We had to convince a lot of people here that there is a football game coming to put its foot up your ass this weekend. No, 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 no. No, the Packers are going down by 30. The Lions are going to lose by (laughs) touchdowns. Uh, No one's going to say that about the Kansas City Chiefs. No. Right. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't know why there was so much pushback on Green Bay was good when Green Bay obviously was good. And this Detroit team, they're not just good. Detroit, I I said it to you earlier in the week, they're the 84 Bears. You know, they're the 84 Bears were coming. They arrived in 85. Well, guess what? This Lions team is coming, and they're going to arrive next year if they have even even a marginal offseason this year. Um, they've got eight or nine of the best players in the entire league on their team. Um, you can't stop them offensively. They they're a complete offense, but it didn't kind of ma- does make you wonder. And it, and this is one of the things we were kind of bandying about a little bit yesterday after the game. Did we see is Jared Goff, uh, who throws the ball great and is it was in lockstep with Amon Ra and looked amazing much much of the night. But can you win it all? I mean, you know, as far as system quarterback, I think the big difference between the best quarterbacks and guys that are pretty good but not quite good enough is the mobility factor. It's the ability to extend plays. That's what Josh Josh Allen's big and strong, but he's got mobility. Mahomes big and strong, but, man, if you give him an avenue, he will run. You know, it's like Lamar's got the running capability. Stroud is an athlete. He can move even though he's more of a pocket passer, but he's still athletic. Um, It's like it's almost like you have to have that as a prerequisite in the NFL today. And you look at Jared Goff, and if you pressure him in his face and he has to move laterally, it's like game over. He's not that good at that point. And I kind of wonder if can you win a Super Bowl with a guy who can't really move you know, anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you can keep your quarterback clean, you can keep your quarterback if you like him. But if he's having trouble staying clean, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And look, golf for a guy who's a statue wasn't exactly, it wasn't like pancake sack city for the 49ers defensive line last night. It was not a great night of anyone beyond Nick Bosa, who by the way, did show up really, really showed up and showed out in the game. Um, Not just the sacks that he recorded in the second quarter, but he played really well in the third and in the, I mean, he, Nick Bosa had a Nick Bosa game last night and that was really good. He needed one, but the Niners was the rest of the D line. Where was Hargrave? Where was Gregory? Where was, where was Chase Young? I mean, Chase Young had one tackle for a loss. Kinlaw had a tackle for a loss, but then Niners only had, Five tackles for loss the entire game. Two by Bosa, one by Chase, one by Kinlaw, and one by Fred Warner. Fred Warner, my God. Fred everywhere. Warner. Everywhere. Just an, like what blade, an amazing game he had. Like blades of grass. He's all over the field. Yeah. Um, look, and and they the Niners won the game. They're going to the Super Bowl. But they got their asses kicked. They, they really did. They really did. They, the Niners probably shouldn't be going to the Super Bowl. They the never Lions, covered Amon Ra. 
They never covered Laporta. They got gashed consistently by Jamison Williams. Uh, David Montgomery went for 6.2 a carry. The Lions as a team ran for 6.3 yards per carry. I mean, I, here's the thing here. I mean, let's be totally honest about this. We can we would have ripped the hell out of Shanahan in this situation. So it's equal that I want to see Campbell get ripped today because it's true. You ran 29 times at a defense that was struggling to stop the run that gave up 6.3 a carry. You had a you had a 42 yard run. You had a 15 yard run by Gibbs. You had a 16 yard run by Montgomery. You ran for six three a carry. 29 runs, 41 passes in a game that you led by 20, you know 24 seven at halftime. They should it should have been 41 runs and 29 passes, and Detroit would have won this game comfortably. You don't see a lot of teams abandon the run when they're up 20 in an NFC title game with two great runners. It really didn't make an awful lot of sense. I mean, you know, this is, this is the difference between the moment you rising to moments of the regular season and then postseason pressure and things change. And you know, where Dan Campbell is going to get a little bit of a reprieve is because of the massive voice. The pro analytics crowd has now in the conversation and I'm not anti-math. I'm not anti-analytics, but I think analytics work an awful lot more in the regular season than they do in some postseason instances. You know, what made Bruce Bochy an incredible manager was he managed the regular season the way he was supposed to. And then he would throw that book out come the rec the postseason, And he would get really aggressive with his pitching changes and his matchups. And he had short leashes when things were going wrong. He didn't wait one or two more batters to see how wrong are things going. He got a hunch and he just made his choice. Dan Campbell got wrapped up in math says do this but my gut should be telling me to do this. What analytics isn't factoring in is the size of the game, the weight of the moment, and the pressure on all of these guys. And again, you and I have talked about this so many times. How many possessions does a team get in a football game? You're lucky if you get five possessions and a half. You know, you're, you're, 10 possessions a game is kind of where it is, 10 to 12. And you're lucky that you, you know, Dan, Dan Campbell kept playing the scoreboard when he should have been playing possessions. The 49ers were running out of football game to come back in. Right. If you just go up three scores again, you know, but it's three scores. What with some confetti sprinkled on top. If the next one's a touchdown, either way, you're up three scores again, go up three scores again, Dan. And he just didn't play that value of the possession more than he was playing. Well, my analytics say this, the culture that I've built into my team has done this all year long. Again, 17 to 20 on fourth and short, 17 to 20 on fourth and short in the regular season. I know why Dan wanted to be aggressive. It's what he's coached into his team, but in the playoffs, you also have to be smart. Just aggressive. Isn't the right move. And he left one on the table. He left two on the table, <laughs> big time. I, and and to me, it the bit you can sit there and talk about going for it versus you know field goals versus going for it. And there and you know there's a whole Barnwell breakdown on the analytics and this and that. But what what you know what I always used to frustrate me about Gabe Kapler is that he didn't manage the game that was in front of him. 
And Campbell, I thought, always kind of had a good sense of, yeah, he was aggressive all year, but he also kind of kept, you know, he was motivated by the game in front of him and he didn't, you know, he would go for it. You have a running back that's 225 pounds who the 49ers have not looked comfortable tackling. You know, Montgomery with the combination of the power, the balance, the stop and start quickness, everything that he represents as a player, he's a really, really hard guy to tackle. And anytime they got him on the second level, it was like, uh-oh, this guy's a, this guy's a runaway bull, and he's just going to be very hard to corral. And to just take him out of the game, and basically when he's going for six yards of carry, uh, I mean, that's unbelievable. I, I kind of felt like every time they didn't hand the ball to him, that it was like, oh, thank God. How because they, they couldn't stop him. They could not tackle him. He was just so uncomfortable to defend. And it's amazing. He got 15 carries. He had as many as like 33 carries in games this year. It's not like they haven't had games where they fed David Montgomery the ball. They have. But in this game, he's going for six and a half a carry, and he gets 15 carries. I mean, that's where this game was lost right there. When you have an entire stadium full of fans who are thrilled that you've decided to go for it, maybe you shouldn't go for it. You know what I mean? Like Niners fans, I really did think, you know, on these fourth and short opportunities, every time he doesn't kick, we're getting closer to winning, not him. And I, and, and, and you were right. And that's what happened. Dan Campbell held the door open just long enough for the 49ers to have the opportunity to make the comeback. And then Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk, they did the rest. And look, Brandon Ayuk's catch. We talked about it, you know, the immaculate deflection, the fluke to Ayuk. I I like both of those. Well, it reminded me of the Lynn Swan catch kind of from from Super Bowl 10 or whatever. But imagine Lynn Swan catching a near interception off another dude's face mask. I mean, I know. It, it, you know, Lynn Swan was just juggling the ball in the air to himself falling forward. You got IU tripping over a dude is all this is happening. And it was, it was an incredible game, an incredible second half. And the 49ers, you know, kind of got away with football murder. No apologies. Don't have to apologize for reaching the Super Bowl. We talked about it. It doesn't matter if you win pretty, you win ugly. It just matters that you win. At the time for critics and opinions and a whole bunch of people who think, you know, here's what I think should have happened. It doesn't matter what you think should have happened. Here's what happened. Lions went home. Niners are going to Vegas. Now, what might happen next? Again, we got a long time to do that. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you know, it's a really tough position to be in. It's tough to go into any game knowing that you have the worst defense and they got Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl with the better defense and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. But at the same time, the Chiefs offensive tackles, not great. Um, the Chiefs have a very limited array of weapons. There's ways it, to win. It's Kelsey and Pacheco and Rashi Rice, and they don't have Tyreek Hill. And, you know, Chris Jones is going to be a monster. You there know that. Ways, there are ways for the 49ers to win this game. 
but it's just not sitting there. No, it's not. Well, I, there. I was asking, I was surprised the Niners were favored and I asked the guys last night in the post game, if they thought by kickoff, the, the favored team would jump from the Niners to the chiefs. And I was told, no, no, they, that if anything, the Niners uh, spread in this game may go up. So um, just based on the fact that the chiefs are roaring in here, having played really good road football to reach the super bowl. And the Niners have arguably played two of their worst football games of the season in the postseason, and have reached the super bowl. Um, I I'm surprised that the Niners are the, you know, the, the overdog in this game, that they are the favored team. I, I am surprised that that was the opening line. This feels like chiefs minus three to me. But, you know, if you watch the Chiefs, I mean, Mahomes had the worst statistical regular season of his career this year. He ranked 19th in the league in QBR on pass plays. They dropped a ton of passes. Their tackles had tons of penalties. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, they, 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 it's, an, it's an interesting team. Legereus Sneed is a dominant corner. Bolton is an incredible linebacker. And Chris Jones and Carl Loftus up front. Really, really good. Chiefs have a lot of speed. It's Spags that you got to be worried about. They have a defensive coordinator who absolutely knows how to win a big game. No doubt. No doubt. And and the Chiefs have gotten the Niners before. I mean, um, but at the same time, I think this is this is the way it needs to go down. Why? Because for Brock, if Brock Purdy's ever going to escape this, this, I mean, this is, a lot of people don't remember this because they only remember the fact that Joe had the four rings and, you know, Joe was Joe by the end. But in 1984, Joe Montana going into that Super Bowl had a Super Bowl ring already to his name. And yet there were those who were like, yeah, he's a product of Walsh and and he's going to get run over here by Dan Marino and Don Shula. And it, this feels very similar to that. And it's like, when Joe beat uh, Marino at Stanford in the in the '84 Super Bowl in January of '85, that vaulted him forever into his special status. And I kind of feel like Brock Purdy needs to not just win; he needs to win against Mahomes in the biggest game to really kind of cement that he is a special quarterback in his own right. Well, let, so, let's not turn this into the, you know, in order for Steph to be an all-time great, he's got to win an NBA Finals MVP too, like which is a standard I never really heard applied to anyone but Steph Curry until he didn't do it. And then he doesn't he, have to win the MVP, but I think you know the way it is. It's like if he if he beats anybody but Mahomes, it's like he's got to beat Mahomes. Right. Oh, this, you know. How about this? If the Niners do win this Super Bowl, there is no like grading it on the sliding curve of well, you didn't play the really good team, you know, like so. Right, um, it's like this yeah. is Brock Purdy will we there, you know he should have already arrived right in the minds of everybody because he's twenty two and five, he's four and one in the playoffs. You know, I mean the guys. The guys played some incredible football. He was in the MVP conversation. Yeah, I love this fact. Never lost a playoff game. He started and finished. Right. I mean, there's there's already several things you can point to with Brock Purdy, but there will be you'll be laughed out of whatever you're in if you start ripping this guy if he beats Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And by the way, if you think uh, you know, 
There'll be no more. There's seven terrific quarterbacks and Brock Purdy. Right. That that second won't happen again. But boy, you want to talk about hard guys to beat in the postseason. Patrick Mahomes is the X marks the spot of that in NFL history. He really yeah. is. So yeah. Um Kyle Shanahan, Steve Wilkes have, you know, 24 hours a day to get ready for this Super Bowl. And they better be using at least 22 of them. Um, not a lot of sleep around Santa Clara as they get ready for a massive, massive game. And and, and, and look, they'll do it all this week. They'll put it in the game plan this week. They will get on the bird to go to Vegas with their plan in place. So this is the this is the real football week right now. They'll pull, they'll prepare like they're gonna play on Sunday. And then they'll let then they'll just turn they'll turn next week into a whole fine-tuning situation and in then, Vegas. And then it's going to be a matter of which team doesn't have the guy who fucks up in Las Vegas. I mean, if there were ever a minefield of pregame <laughs> nonsense to get into, it's in Las Vegas. So, you know, who survives the week of Super Bowl week in Vegas? Not just all the media attention, but all the trappings of Las Vegas around the Eugene the- Robinson Memorial uh, Memorial Trophy uh, this year goes to well, here's the thing, though. You can't get in trouble for being with a hooker in Las Vegas. That's a, You know, Eugene just picked the wrong city to do that in, right? You know? Um, yeah, it, it's... What it, city was... What city did Miami. he get? Was it Miami? Miami. Which is... You know, you think that that town would get let you let get loose and have some fun, but uh, not that not to that level, Eugene. Right after he picked up his Walter Payton Man of the Year <laughs> award. Ugh. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, this guy is one of the finest human beings. Whoever solicited a prostitute, we got ourselves a really big room on my end uh, for a wake up, Larry. I'm sure your numbers are great as well. Our combined numbers make this the most consumed day after 49er show on YouTube. Thank you so much for being here on wake up. And I am just going to say it's a little bit of a tradition. We don't have many, but we got one. Larry, are you ready for just the facts? I am ready. Just the facts. The 49ers are in the super bowl for the eighth time in franchise history for the first time since 2019, obviously the 49ers eight trips to the super bowl now tied for the second most in NFL history. Only New England has more. New England's been to the Super Bowl 11 times, but Dallas, Denver, Pittsburgh, and now the San Francisco 49ers have all made eight appearances in the biggest game available. The Niners are now 6 and 5 in NFC title games at home, but still 8 and 11 overall. Just shows you how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl. Uh their 38 playoff wins, however, though, Larry, that's the most in NFL history. The Niners are still sitting on top of postseason excellence in that regard. They've won more playoff games than any other franchise in NFL history. And needless to say, winning playoff game number 39 is one of the biggest moments in franchise history if it actually happens because that would be a sixth Lombardi trophy. And Kyle Shanahan, the guy who can't win big games, he won another big game. He's now eight and three in the postseason. He hasn't won the biggest yeah. game, but he's eight and three in the postseason. That's a very he, good record. He's won at least two postseason games in every single postseason he's ever appeared in. And he is now the 49ers all time 
franchise winning, winning percentage leader in the postseason. Not bad. There's some other coaches that have had pretty successful postseason runs in franchise history, and Kyle wins at a greater clip than anyone at this point in his very young, still he's only 44-year-old career. Good stuff. I mean, that it shows that, you know, um, for all the criticism and for all the people that have taken shots, the guy does win in the playoffs. He really does. Now, he hasn't won the ultimate prize, but, um, you know, a lot of there's a lot, you know people that have suggested they should banish Kyle and go in a different direction. It's like, hey, wait a second, you know, is isn't this guy in a lot of ways Andy Reid pre Mahomes? There are 18, I believe, is the number living people who have won a Super Bowl as a head coach. 18 living humans on the planet who have done that. So you know, the fact that Kyle hasn't done it yet isn't really the dunk on him that a lot of people think it is. And if he does do it, no one's going to be able to dunk on you. Kyle's going to be Dikembe Mutombo. You're not going to be able to dunk on him anymore. If he gets one, he'll get three, in my opinion. If he, you know, he's got to get that first one. But if he gets one, I think he'll there'll be more to follow. Well, you know, it depends on how long the Niners can keep that window open because the disease of more will certainly infect any team that wins a championship. Um they got a great equation going right now, though. They got a young coach. They got a young quarterback. They're kicking ass in free agency because they're doing it the right way. They're allowing the rank and file free agent to walk. They're taking compensatory picks. They're reinvesting in younger players in the draft. They're hitting on day three and after the draft uh, with undrafted free agents. And they're playing free agency like a fiddle. So, um, you know. Now, Hargrave wasn't great yesterday, but Hargrave, Mooney Ward, going after that one great player, um, I think is the right approach to free agency. And, and they're, good they're doing it. You're, I mean, you're not in the game that they didn't play well in without them, right? Right. Uh, Hargrave was a big part of this regular season. He hasn't been a, been a big part of the postseason. I, we haven't really used his name yet, which maybe means the Niners, they're due. You know, they haven't played well in the postseason, and maybe they're saving their best for last. And last time I checked, that's a pretty good thing to do when you reach a Super Bowl. Maybe play your best game of the year then. We'll see. We will- and, and, and Brock Purdy, by the way, he hasn't come from behind and won a lot of games in his career because he's had a big a lot of leads. But one of them was they were down 10 in the fourth quarter in Vegas. Um, and he led them to tie the game, forced overtime, and beat the Raiders in overtime. His, his, you know, last year. So he has had a come from behind victory in that stadium. Well, and you know, Dan Campbell decisions aside, Larry Brock Purdy was just the architect, the chief architect of the largest comeback in the history of the NFC Championship game. And we continue our just the facts, looking at this comeback. The 49ers are the first team in NFL history to be down 17 or more points at halftime of a championship game and come back to win the game. They also overcame a 17-point deficit uh, against the Atlanta Falcons in 2012. But again, that wasn't just in the second half. The Falcons got up way early uh, on the Niners, and then they started their comeback. But they couldn't have been in a worse situation than they were at halftime, and they dug their way out of it. 
And a big reason why they dug their way out of it, as much as we have given all the flowers to Brock Purdy, who deserves them today, let's talk about Christian McCaffrey. Because with 132 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns, McCaffrey became the third player in NFL history to have 50 or more yards from scrimmage and one or more touchdowns in each of their first six career playoff games. Wow. When the money's on the table, Christian's got, you know, pocket aces. He's coming for it. McCaffrey became the first 49er running back in franchise history to have two or more rushing touchdowns in consecutive playoff games. He... With all due respect to Brock and the playmakers and everyone around him, to Christian McCaffrey is the heart and soul of everything that happens all year long since they've traded for him. He really is. He is in the middle of all of their success. As much as a quarterback stands in the middle of a team's offensive success, this running back stands you know, right next to Brock Purdy, if not on Brock Purdy's toes, making the argument, maybe I'm the straw that stirs the drink. McCaffrey is unquestionably special, and everyone lays off of him because there's there's no argument to be made other than with a Lombardi trophy. A week, how about this? Let's say it's Christian McCaffrey who wins the MVP of the Super Bowl, and he gets a Lombardi trophy. He has automatically punched his ticket to Canton, Larry. He goes from, I think he's in the Hall of Fame, to he's in the Hall of Fame. Great, great player, no question. And and the way he came out of in the third quarter, it was like this, you know, he, when he scored that touchdown, it was like he, he wasn't just, he wasn't happy. He was, you could see he was like still kind of pissed. You know, he was like, you know, like we should be, we should be in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guy's a hell of a teammate. I mean, and he, and he gives it 100%. I mean, he, he's he's carrying off plays or play fakes on the backside, um, you know, with the same aggressiveness and the same focus as he does when he's getting the ball on the doorstep in fourth and one or whatever. I mean, the guy is just totally committed to winning every play. He's an ultimate team guy. Look, I got good football eyes. He jukes me out like a poorly trained cameraman on some of his play action fakes. <laughs> he really does. Um, uh, let's talk about Brock Purdy here in just the facts because Purdy was 20 of 31 passing in the NFC championship game, 267 yards, a touchdown. He threw an interception. He finished with a passer rating of 89, which is pedestrian for him. What is not pedestrian was it, it's funny. He had a career-high pass attempts in the Packers' divisional round, which was funny and odd, and we talked an awful lot about that. A career playoff high, 48 yards rushing for Brock Purdy. The fifth touchdown, uh, his passing touchdown was the fifth of his career already. And with the win, Purdy, who had two playoff wins as a rookie, became the fourth quarterback in football history to win at least four playoff games in their first two career seasons. And if he wins the Super Bowl, he's going to be tied with Ben Roethlisberger for five playoff wins in the first two years of your career. Now, Ben Roethlisberger wasn't like a gaudy stats guy, but he was a physical specimen, a beast, and 
you know, everyone quickly was like, oh, this, this Ben Roethlisberger guy is pretty good. Oh, this guy from a, a small college, a less than matters an awful lot college, you know, Miami of Ohio. Who, who, wow. And like cradle you know, of coaches, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, but he but, also was a great runner and thrower on the run there. But again, he had a body type that allowed people to quickly see, like, oh, yeah, I should probably get behind what this guy's doing, winning at the clip he's winning at so early in his career. But, you know, Brock is 30 pounds lighter, three inches shorter, and easy to underestimate, so people just keep on doing that. Uh, Secretly, without much fanfare, which is odd because we talked so much about the Garner-Johnson-Debo matchup coming into this game, and there was the bad blood that everyone knew about, Debo Samuel had a playoff career-high eight catches and a team-high 89 yards, It wasn't a great Debo Samuel game, but when he did touch the ball, he was moving chains and he was just providing the momentum needed that this team needed. It went, went, I mean, he, he didn't do much and yet he did a ton all at the same time. He really, that big game for Debo. Debo was great. Back to Purdy though, for a second. One thing that was really interesting is that when you looked at some of the teams that beat the lions this year, the, the the Lions' run defense, three worst games were against Baltimore and uh, Chicago. And those run offenses combined for 471 rushing yards. And the, the common denominator is they both had mobile quarterbacks. Fields and Lamar Jackson combined for 48% of the rushing yards in those games against Detroit. Um, when the Lions faced the Niners yesterday, the Niners had the third-ranked rush offense. But, man, it was the Brock Purdy 58 58 yards on five carries and three huge runs in the second half that made the Niner rushing attack, you know, um, really formidable. So, I mean, give give Purdy credit on that one is in that, man, I mean, and I don't know if it was part of the game plan where it was like, hey, you know what? Look at these look at the teams that have had success against Detroit, the quarterback often gets out of the pocket and runs. Maybe that was something they kind of knew about because he, he, when the, when the money was on the table and, and the thing was breaking down and he needed to run, uh, he was decisive. He was decisive about running on this team. So it was great to see. I don't, I don't think they win without um, the, all three of those late, late for those late second half runs. You know, it sounds like something who didn't know the specifics and to talk about football granularly. And so you're going to say something broad in general, like, you know, he really feels the game, which sounds like a kind of a candy ass way to describe. It. I really don't know how to say it. So I'm just going to tell you, feel. but there's the truth there. Brock Purdy feels a game. He feels it around him. He feels the pocket around him. And look, sometimes he feels it collapsing and it does because it has. You well, know, and you- then the other thing, Darren, Damon, he plays for the W. I mean, you know, it's, it's this guy's greatest thing. I mean, let's just be honest about this. The best quarterbacks we've ever seen are guys that we here in the Bay Area have seen firsthand. Joe Montana, Tom Brady, and neither of those guys had overwhelming physical traits, even though Joe was a very underrated athlete, great basketball player, could dunk, was very had unbelievable escapability, and Brady had way better arm strength than ever anybody ever thought coming out of Michigan. Steve Young had wheels, but he was no physical specimen by any stretch of the imagination. But what these guys all really had, Steve, Steve, and I'm glad you brought up Young because Young had it absolutely tons of this. 
and what Brock Purdy has, it's this rare, super crazy, maniacal, call it dysfunctional if you want, competitiveness. What makes Jordan Jordan? The fact that he gets to his Hall of Fame speech and he's still trying to dunk on people. He, you know what I mean? He, the great ones, Larry Bird was a crazy competitor. Michael Jordan is a crazy competitor. Steph Curry ripped his jersey the other day because he lost a game he played great in because he's a crazy competitor. That's what Brock Purdy, Derek Jeter, crazy competitor. Uh, Montana, Brady, and now you're watching Brock Purdy. He's a crazy competitor. He is going to compete. I told him that Brandon Allen said he was a better golfer than him earlier this year and that he was going to take his money, and he's like, I'll get good, and I'll take his money. He wants to win. You know, we have all had that kid. I mean, my, my kid, my oldest son, Kevin, who's our producer on this show, he was a crazy competitor. Um, you know, he wants to win at everything all the time. Um, and it's just you either have that gene or you don't. And Brock Purdy has that gene. And what did he do in the fourth quarter? What it's he's going to do whatever he has to do, because then it gets down to it's not about timing or anything. It's about desire to win and, and your competitive fire. And that's why Brock keeps playing big at the end of games in some of these games, because it's like, whoa, um, he's got now it's like, forget the mechanics, forget my rhythm. And now I'm just playing because I want to win really badly. And those three running plays were just like screaming out. I don't care if I take a hit. I want to win badly. And Favre had it. And so many of the great ones have it. Mahomes absolutely has it. And Purdy has it. And it's you can't see it. It's not definable. You don't see it at the combine. It doesn't appear on the Wonderlick. Um, it, it's literally, it, you, you know, you just you either have to identify it somehow, some way by watching film or that's it. And this guy has crazy competitive fire. So that's why his teammates love him because he doesn't show up for the glory. He doesn't show up for the cash. He doesn't show up for the girls. He shows up because, you know, he's a man of faith and he's all about beating you. And um, he just really likes playing football. He I mean, loves playing football, but he's a competitor, man. The guy yeah. is super competitive. He is. He is. I mean, it, uh, everyone out there is. Even the least competitive dude on a football field is still more competitive than the average person. I mean, to even reach any position in professional athletics means you are in the one, the the, the type A fraction of the one percent of the world of of you want it. Um, but a lot of guys they get burnt out. A lot of guys have you know wanted it so bad by the time they actually got it, they're like, all right, I'm good. Um, you know, look, maybe Brock Purdy does get that big paycheck one day. And the next thing, you know, it's all Lamborghinis and sunglasses, money changes people, but I, I don't think he's going to be subjected to that. I don't think we're going to have Brock Purdy, uh, you know, caught with, uh, with, with, uh, you know, a, a, a dead woman or a live boy at any point in time in his career. You know, this guy just seems to have been raised right. And he just flies so straight. To be a really good quarterback in this league doesn't just mean you get it done on game day either. You handle the media, you handle the pressure, you handle the spotlight, you handle the podium. He does it all like a 
10-year NFL vet two years into his career. It's very special. Again, a lot of people can only see physical traits, and that's why a lot of people were on Team Trey Lance because of where he was drafted, what was given up to draft him in that spot, and look at the physicality and the, the, the you know, just look at this guy. Wouldn't that be awesome if he were the future? And then you look at the other guy, and it's so easy to underestimate him. But if you could look inside, like it, it, if it were tangible, we could measure it. It's not. So it's an intangible. We can't measure it. What everyone used to say, you know, the biggest problem with a concussion is a concussion doesn't limp. That's why we don't really respect them. It took a while for the NFL to start respecting the severity of concussions for even fans to understand the severity of concussions because a concussion doesn't limp. So you don't really have any sympathy for it. And I guess Brock Purdy doesn't present himself as I'm the baddest motherfucker on this field, but he is, he is all the time almost. So, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan is, is like that a little too. He's professorial. He's calm. He's not a screamer. He doesn't overly emote when things are going poorly or well, you know, the camera doesn't love him the way it loves Dan Campbell. Um, Kyle Shanahan is drawing up plays to kill you. <laughs> you know, he is he is a huge competitor himself. You know, the guy who just didn't have enough of a physical ability to play football. So he said, all right, how can I get back at the world of football? I'm going to become <laughs> one of the hardest strategize, uh, you know, best strategy guys this league has ever seen. And it's paying off early for him in his career. And I'm really happy that he gets to avoid the landmine that would have him been losing a third straight championship game. How about this? Larry, you said, you know, if Kyle wins one Super Bowl, he might win three. Had he lost the NFC title game Sunday night? I don't know if he ever wins one. And 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 there is an element to where no matter what Kyle does in the Super Bowl, no matter what happens, and I know no Niner fan wants to hear anything other than they won the Lombardi trophy. And I get it. I want them to. But there, I mean, next season would have been ruined by an NFC championship game loss. The entirety of next season. Like, sure, we could have gotten into the moment of you and me breaking down an exciting game. Like, it, we, we, we would have found our fun because we always find fun in a football season somewhere. There's always drama that you get wrapped up in. But the umbrella that all of next year would have been underneath is the umbrella of it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. When you get to the playoffs, Kyle is going to gag it away. Well, we we said the reality of their situation was if they lost in the NFC playoffs to anybody, that they would be underachievers. Now they can, you know, whatever happens, they are not underachievers. They they did not underachieve this year if they lose the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously it's all about winning the Super Bowl and climbing to the top of that mountain. And Purdy said it like five times yesterday at the podium. Yeah, we got one more. We got one more. It's like he's not going to celebrate this championship, NFC championship, like it means anything because the job, the task, the goal was the sixth Lombardi, and they don't have the sixth Lombardi. They're still one win away. By so the way, I can't help but notice, and I am enough of a – of a like a curmudgeon to tell you that every single time we see baseball teams 
popping champagne. Like, I mean, how many champagne parties do you need on the way to a postseason? Like, it, it drives me nuts how much champagne we see in clubhouses that technically still haven't won anything. The division series celebration. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, Every it, single person, including the the uh, you know clubbies, are wearing like goggles. They've been planning for it forever. But you right. know, it's a long grind. So I'm I don't begrudge baseball players for celebrating. But sure. But you I, know what? The, the 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 NFL season is a harder grind. You may be not playing as often, but oh my God, does this sport put a tax on your body? And you don't see guys popping champagne. Was there any champagne in the 49ers no. locker room last night, Larry? No. I there were some cigars. There were some victory cigars. How about this too, by the way? You're the Detroit Lions. You go into the dr- dressing room at halftime with a hundred and forty-eight rushing yards. You're on your way to a 300-yard <laughs> rushing day because you're going to run more because you got the lead in the second half, right? You're on your way to a 300-yard rushing day with David Montgomery averaging almost seven yards a carry, and they come out in the second half and run for only 34 yards. That's amazing. I did not have that on my bingo card, and I don't think any Lions can. Uh, 34 yards of rushing in the second half in a game that you're up 27 to 7? By the way, they had like 50,000 fans. 24 to 7? At like Ford Field watching on big screens, and that place was going bonkers and was quiet as a church mouse. It's a cold day in Detroit today, I guarantee you. January January 29th, the day after you gag away a trip to the Super Bowl in Detroit, Michigan, with the winter and the whole deal. Oh, man. By the way, if everyone would like to see the single greatest rap video ever made, homemade rap video, when you're done watching Wake Up This Morning, Google, it's so cold in the D. It's so cold in the D. Why the fuck can't we just have peace? Oh, dude, it's it is a cold day in the D. And Eminem, way, Eminem was there last night. Did you see that? And everyone, the double birds. I hope that entire section pointed to him where the exact parking lot was. It's that way, buddy. Go back to Eight Mile. You what? How about guy? Chauncey Gardner Johnson waving goodbye to the crowd in the second quarter? Dude, talk about something that didn't age well. You're you're waving goodbye to the crowd in the second quarter and the cheap shot that he took on Debo. That was just something else. Cheap shot on Debo too. He did. He did. Debo shows up in the post game wearing a snakeskin jacket with a smile on his face. Oh, that's the best look there is. It really is. Uh, Just a couple more facts, Larry, before we hop into some chats and open up to what people want to talk about here. Um, Nick Bosa, two sacks in the NFC title game, is now the third time in his career that he's recorded two or more sacks in a playoff game. So even though Bosa didn't record one last season, the whole Bosa disappears in the postseason is probably a, you know a, a narrative that needs to disappear a little bit at least for the week. And oh by the way, his ten sacks in playoff games is now the most in 49ers team history. Charles Haley had seven and a half. Eric Armstead has seven. So Nick Bosa and Christian McCaffrey in a short time have established themselves as two of the best to have ever done it for the 49ers. And let's say you weren't rooting for either team last night. You didn't care. All you wanted to do was watch a good game. 
And that first half opens up in a way where you think, oh, man, this isn't a good game. Am I even going to turn the game off at halftime? Maybe I'll check in in the third quarter, see if it got interesting. If you were, if you weren't having a heart attack, if that wasn't a heart attack on a plate game for you, what a game that was to watch last night. Just for the impartial observer, there were only two punts in the entire game, Larry. Only two punts for two teams that say, you know, we play a lot of defense over here too. It's not just offenses that got us into only two punts in that game. What a game. What a game. I, I You know what? I saw there was a number of people that said 35-31, and this is going to be an offensive shootout, and that's exactly what it was. But it wasn't the kind of game that we thought because it was almost like a college football bowl game in that you see this all the time. They have those long bowl games, the, or, the long halftime shows, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, and Team A will dominate the first half, and then out of nowhere, Team B dominates the second half. Right, And you never see that typically in the NFL, but that's what happened in this game. It was 24-7 Niners in the first, or Lions in the first half. It was 27-7 Niners in the second half. Unbelievable. <laughs> the entire script. Got the momentum of momentum shifts. Hats off to the NFL script writers. Like I, I didn't see them coming up with that one last night. That was, that was very impressive, the way that they uh, unveiled that one on us. They, they know suspense. They're fantastic. They should write. For I'll say this time. too. I like the way that game was officiated for the most part. Um, you know, you play. Yeah. I mean, it's the, if you ask most football fans, what do you want out of your officials? They, I think most would say consistency, competency, and become less involved. Right. Call the egregious stuff. Anything that is on the edge of may or may not be swallow the whistle. Yeah. I mean, like there was a cut that Charlie Warner hit on the sideline and you could see the lions wanted like a late hit. The guy was in the air and Warner pop, popped him on along the sideline. Enough of these ticky tack, you know, penalties. There was only five total penalties in the game, two on Kansas city, three on the Niners. I like that level of officiating. I like a game where you basically let them go um, and 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 let the players decide this, decide it. I mean, obviously, if there's offsides, you got to call it. If there's a false start, you got to call it. If there's a PI, you got to call it. But, I mean, for the most part, let them play. I like an, uh, I'd rather my games be under-officiated than over-officiated. Oh. And, and, and not just the NFL. NBA as well and especially baseball. The NBA, yeah, especially I, the NBA, the parade to the free throw. Like here's the, Oh, Joel Embiid got 70 motherfucker shot like 28 free throws. Of course. I mean, imagine if Steph got 28 free throws on the reg, he'd be at 70 all the time. You know, like it, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, some of you the, know what I'm saying I hate, I hate, well, they had 12 penalties and we had 11 penalties and it's a right. con. I mean, the, it becomes disjointed. It ruins the flow. Yeah, nobody um, likes the ump show. Keep the flow going. Flow is a big part of, of enjoyable sports. D having a disjointed game with a, just a boatload of penalties is not my kind of game. This is my one argument against instant replay. It disrupts the flow, and I do agree with you that the flow of a game is paramount to be it, it, to, to be enjoyed. By the I heard you do a great interview one night on 95.7 The Game with Steve Kerr you talking about this topic. Do you remember that? 
um, and, and not specific, the one that you're, yeah, you're talking you, about. About, about Flo, about you guys were talking about Steve was bemoaning, you know, the, the unbelievable disjointed nature of over-officiated games. Yeah, no, look, I, and it, I think the conversation basically where Steve said, you know, he wants things to go right, but he'd be glad with an element of human error if it meant we weren't going to the monitor six different times in the last four minutes of the fourth quarter. You know, that's what disrupts the flow of basketball game. And there's no sport that depends on flow for entertainment more than the sport of basketball. So when that gets choppy, it gets really choppy. Yeah. Um, you know, football's built for all sorts of start start and stop moments. It's the nature of the game. Um, but yeah, look, you know, the the best official is the one we don't talk about. The best umpire is the one whose name we didn't even bring up. It's like offensive linemen. I know you had a good game if we ain't even talking about you. Um, that game was tied at 24. Purdy escapes a dead-to-right sack, hits use check for a first down, twinkle toes, and I love the way that Kyle use check was used in that game. I think he is maybe Kyle Shanahan's biggest, you should do more with that guy than you actually do players. And he had the game that the second tight end, you know, on, on, a, on a team normally has. Like he, you know, everyone is looking at Vernon Davis and Delaney Walker had a big game. You know, that's kind of what Juszczyk did last night. You talk about Delaney that Walker. the late third quarter, Kyle uh, Purdy escaped the sack. Yes. And then found Juszczyk for the toe tap on first tippy down. Tippy toes, tippy toes. It was two uh, minutes left in the third quarter, and that was the first play of the drive. Yeah, that was a beautiful play. And it's 20 unanswered points at a halftime. Detroit's second half possessions were turnover on downs, fumble, punt, turnover on downs, and then the touchdown that set them up for the onside kick at the end of the game. And, you know, it's Which funny. Which shade off Conley gave me a heart attack. Yeah, I tell you, that was that, that the the onside kick, the way it was executed was perfect. He got that high high bounce where now guys are jumping for it, but it did. There was a legal contact. Uh, Lion touched it at about the nine and a half yard line. And that ball's got to go 10 yards before any Detroit lion can touch it. So it would have been Niners ball, even if they hadn't jumped on it. Was it Kittle that fell on it? Actually? I think it was yeah, Kittle, Kittle fell on it. Fell on it. So, you, um, you know, the other factor in this game that was huge is that the Niners who did not get particularly good safety play in the green Bay game, got amazing safety play. If you think about it, I mean, Tayshawn Gibson had the play of the game on the Jameer Gibbs pop-out fumble. And Jair Brown had 10 tackles, five of them solo. Those two guys, the Niners safeties, had a huge hand in that victory. Again, I don't want to talk about off-season moves, but maybe looking to trade Talanoa Hufanga. Because of what you've seen out of Jair Brown here now, and I love Hufanga. No, I think I think you play them together. Play them together. All right then, I like that too. But it, look, it was an unbelievable football game, an unbelievable football game, and it's so unbelievable that even if the Niners go to Las Vegas and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, as you sit around and talk about that Super Bowl victory, there's going to be a smart person who always brings up and the NFC title game that got them there, like. Yeah. It, this game will be connected to whatever success comes their way next. 
because you obviously can't get to that success without having had success in this moment. And that was, uh, that was a heart attack on a plate. That was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. And not only that, how about the symmetry? 1957 divisional round. Y.A. Tittle and the Niners blow a 24-7 halftime lead to, you know, to the, to the Detroit Lions. 66 years later, uh, the, or I should say the, the Lions blow the same 24-7 lead to give Brock Purdy and the Niners a 34-31 victory. Time is a flat circle, Larry. <laughs> Think know? about that. That is pretty, that's pretty amazing. Joe Fonzie came up to me late in the fourth quarter. He's like, Krug, how about that? Isn't that amazing? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, the Niners won that second half 27-7 and punched their ticket to uh, their second Super Bowl appearance under Shanahan. But isn't that amazing? I mean, 66 years later, you're you're down 24-7 and come back after you blew a 24-7 lead. I mean, that's that's eerily crazy. And think of what's next now. You got the one team that you have absolutely zero success against. Kyle Shannon, I mean, here's the thing. From Jimmy Garoppolo's torn ACL at Arrowhead to a Super Bowl loss to getting, getting run by it at, by them at home in McCaffrey's year, first game. Yep, yep. I mean, there is no success to point at uh, against Mahomes and Reed and the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's them again. Here we go. Here we go. And it does feel like the most vulnerable the Chiefs have been offensively but they got this Patrick Mahomes guy who makes up for a little bit of that vulnerability. And Pacheco right now is like, is he going to average eight yards a carry against the 49ers? He better not. Niners better clean that up to say the least. Um, He's going to touch the ball. I'm just reading here over the course of six postseason games. Isaiah Pacheco is averaging almost 19 touches and about 90 total yards. So, you know, We'll see. You know, we'll see. The Niners didn't stop Aaron Jones. They didn't stop David Montgomery. They didn't stop Jameer Gibbs. Um, can they stop Isaiah Pacheco? I, I, you know, and 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 how? What's the Niners' path to winning this game? It's going to be. Can the Niners? You know, can McCaffrey dominate against Nick Bolton, who's been incredible in these playoffs? You, they look. They just they got. They're going to have to score a lot of points against a really good defense. A real. Here's the thing. Like. Hey, Damon, you're walking in this game blind. You and Larry don't host wake up. As a matter of fact, you don't live in San Francisco. What do you think of this game? I just say, so you're telling me I get the best defense on the field and Patrick Mahomes. But I will say this, you know, Kelsey is his main red zone threat and the Niners have Fred Warner. So it's not like, Hey, you know what? Um, this is going to be some waltz for, uh, for Kansas City. I think the 49ers are positioned to to also I think the Niners defensive ends Bosa, you know, Gre- Gregory, Chase Young should win against these these tackles. I hope so, you're right. I hope you're right. And and look, maybe Fred Warner is the key to unlocking victory because if you do shut Kelsey down, now all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes is looking for guys who are going to catch this ball. And sometimes he can't again, Patrick Mahomes is sometimes playing against his own wide receivers and the defense. Um, But they all got right in the playoffs. They did. Chiefs looked a lot better offensively at times in the playoffs than they did in the regular season. And they got a real mojo going for them. And just what a setting it's going to be. I mean, think, by the way, 
You want to talk about a Sophie's choice for Mark Davis? So in the in the biggest game ever in your brand spanking new stadium, either your former geographic rival is going to pick up the win or your arch nemesis is going to pick up the win. So either the 49ers or the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have the biggest win in the history of Allegiant Stadium, bar none. And if you think that the David, if you think that Mark Davis isn't losing sleep over that, you don't know Mark Davis. <laughs> He's, what an what an embarrassment! I mean, the Raiders can never win, right? I mean, it's just it's just the Raiders never get any break celestially, matter of factly, presumptively. Like it just they, they even running to Vegas to open their own shop. They still got the 49ers haunting the shit out of them. It's unbelievable. It really it's, fu- it's funny. Uh, I'm looking at the, the ESPN's got their whole Chiefs Niners thing, and they're asking for just gut early predictions. Aaron Schatz, Chiefs. Dan Graziano, Chiefs. Dan Orlovsky, Chiefs. Field Yates, Chiefs. Jordan Reed, Chiefs. Lindsey Theory, NFL national reporter, Chiefs. Marcus Spears, Chiefs. Matt Miller, who's a Niner fan who we dined in New Orleans with and you know personally, Chiefs. Uh, I will say this. Seth Walder says Niners. He says 49er playmakers will be too overwhelming for Kansas City. He says there's a reason the Niners were the best offense all year long, and they will be again on Super Bowl Sunday. He's going Niners. Seth Wickersham going Niners. Says Shanahan, Shanahan's scars are finally healed. And Stefania Bell says Niners. She says Shanahan will use the lessons learned from giving up a lead uh, to pull out a win. So, I mean, I hope they're all right. My gut is telling me Chiefs too, Larry. Like, I'm going to have to talk myself into the 49ers to actually pick them. In I mean, Brock Purdy's 21 and five, man. It's impressive. 21 and five. It's impressive. One of those losses is to the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> you know, um, it, no, no, he's not. No, it isn't. Oh, that's right. That was that was Jimmy's loss, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Brock Purdy just came in in, in garbage time in that game. Okay, and that game also, I believe, had no Mooney Ward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Chiefs. I mean, Mahomes has owned the Niners, um, and somehow they're going to have to own the league. Yeah, Mahomes <laughs> yeah. is great. Mahomes is going to try to become one of the fifth quarterback ever in the history of the game to win three Super Bowls. Can you name the others? The fifth quarterback ever to win three Super Bowls. Yeah, you know, you know Brady. He's got so six. Tom Brady is one. Troy Aikman is two. Troy Aikman is two. Um, the obvious uh, ones. And, and uh, um, uh, Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw's got four. Whew. There's there's this guy named Joe. Uh, Joe Jeff, yeah, yeah, Joe Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana qualifies for that. Joe's got four. Roger so there you go. Um, the the no, it's it's so right now Mahomes, Brady, Peyton Manning, and Montana are the only quarterbacks to have at least two Super Bowl championships and two MVPs. Okay. But Mahomes is the the fifth fifth quarterback if he to to get three if he gets three. Brady, Montana, Bradshaw, Aikman, and Mahomes. 